Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Southern New England's only home for sporting news radio. AM 1320, The Drive. WARL, Attleboro, Providence. Sporting News Radio. Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on AM 1320 The Drive, as well as over the Internet at 1320thedrive.com and revolutionrecap.com. Join me today in studio is Tony Vizcaya, of Rev- writer for Revnet.com. Um, and today we have a show where we're going to feature Jack Huckle from the New England Sox- from the New- National Soccer Hall of Fame. He's going to join us later on in the show. And we're also going to have Don Cuddy, uh, also a writer for ResNet um, and a writer for 90 Minute Soccer Magazine, will be joining us as well. Uh, and last night, a great win for the Revs. 4 to nothing win over the defending champion, Los Angeles Galaxy. Um, the Revs' offense has really been poor to start off the season. And um, with the players they have, I-, I-, I think everyone was expecting an explosion at some point. And it's good for it to come last night against the defending champs and with the Revs sweeping uh, the series against the Los Angeles Galaxy for the first time in their history. It, it, it was a good win. Uh, after taking them on at their place, you, you knew that they were going to come in here and try to reverse that on us. And uh, uh, un- unfortunately for them, <laughs> this was the uh, the breakout that Steve Nichols has been predicting, that uh, a team offense would start to click and that, uh, you know, the goals would start to flow in. And uh, But... But beyond just getting the goals, it was beautiful to see our team just be in sync and pass the ball around and look like the the, the class of the league as they were last year. It really looked like the team from last year, from the beginning of last year when they were doing so well. Um, the, the, with the switch to the 3-4-3 formation, some people had seemed to think that that might have been the change from the 3-5-2 to the 3-4-3, but really I think they sort of adapted to that formation last night and it, it, it looked well and I think that's the formation that will work from in the future. You know, formations are highly overrated, I think, uh, because the players interact and uh, and they overlap, and regardless of where you're supposed to be, uh, it's not a fixed position on the field. The the players have to have the understanding that when some guys go forward, other guys switch, and uh, that's that's what the teams do. But beyond that, I, I, I think the difference last night was the movement off the ball. That's what good teams do. They make opportunities available for their teammates so that when we have the ball, uh, nobody gets stuck in having to try to dribble or just make a wild pass. Uh, Guys were making themselves available, and uh, we just played intelligent soccer out there last night. And uh, with the news of the World Cup roster announced, uh, Dempsey will be the only Revs going unless uh, there's injuries, and Twelman, uh, Ralston, and Noonan, as well as Matt Reese, are all listed as alternates and could go. But... It seems like the team, I, I think the team will do well without them with Pat Newton coming back from injury possibly next week. And all their offense coming last night, Dempsey wasn't um, really even involved in the offense. He had a good game, I'd say. Um, he created a few chances. He had that shot off the post. But I think the team is proving that they can create offense without him. Uh, he has been one of the great attacking players for the team to start off the season. But um, I, I don't think the Reds should be too worried about losing him from their offense. Uh, well, depending on uh, who you ask, uh, the, the talents on the team, uh, some of it, uh, it hasn't been getting on the field. And the fact that some of these guys are going to be missing, 
uh, opens up the chance for some of those guys to come out and, and make the statement that they should be out there all the time. And I'm talking about Jose Cancelo. Uh, Andy Dorman certainly stepped up his game this year. Uh, Hernandez opened the door for Tony Lockheed to, to get more minutes. And, you know, as the season develops, we're going to need all these guys, and we don't want anybody to be hurt. And uh, regardless of if they're your favorite player or not, uh, these are all important players down the stretch and for the entire season. And with the injuries to Pat Noonan, a guy like Jose Cancelo already has gotten the starting time, and uh, I think he's showing he's he's blended into the 3-4-3 formation and has been playing uh, played an extremely good game last night. I know the stadium announcer gave him MV, man of the match. And he's been a great player for the team in the past who hasn't seen as much time as I'm sure some fans think he should. But now that uh, Clint Dempsey is going off to the World Cup and Pat Noonan is probably going to be healthy for the next game, it's, it's, he'll just slide right in there in the Clint Dempsey spot. And it's great to know that um, you're just going to be trading one star for another when Dempsey goes off to the World Cup. Uh, I don't think our offense will be uh, lacking. I, I think with the players we have, we can uh, certainly put together a great game and take it to anybody in this league. Uh, unfortunately for the individuals, they didn't make it to the national team. It's an opportunity for Clint, and you know uh, we would have loved to see all of them make the team, uh, although it would hurt us locally. But um, you know the reality is uh, it's uh, a, a really tough thing to make. I mean, there's select few individuals that make that uh, World Cup for the international teams. There's a lot of, I mean, think of the English and the Italians. There's unbelievable talent out there that's not making it to the World Cup. And uh, it's a good sign for MLS that now we're starting to see that where we know that we have quality individuals and they just, for whatever reason, didn't make the cut. For the Revolution players, it's unfortunate that was due to injuries. I don't think it was due to their talent level or their ethics or, you know, the, what they bring to the national team. It was just an unfortunate situation, and um, the door is still open for some of them. If, if there's injuries, uh, as alternates, they could still make it. And the Revs' defense throughout the whole year, even when the offense has been lacking, has been a, a real strong point for this team. Um, the game against Chicago, they were exposed a little bit, but Michael Parker, um, came, coming back from injury, has played extremely well since then. Um, James Riley has slotted into the left-back position and seems to be the permanent starter there now, the way he's been playing, and Jay Heaps is having another great season as well. So the, the defense has been playing fine, and now the offense is coming together. I think this is a team that could repeat the successes of last year and hopefully go a step further and make it to the MLS Cup and win it this time. Oh, definitely. We, we've got the uh, uh, known qualities in the players. Uh, like you said, James Riley has been a rock this year. He's back to being in full health, and uh, there's no question that he's, that he's a better-than-average uh, MLS player at the various positions he plays. And, um, you know, the fact that we have choices, and Steve Nichol has those choices, uh, it looks like it's going to be a, a really good season again. The one thing this year that uh, we haven't seen from last year is um, the past few years we've always had a breakout player coming, coming through uh, the draft, where last year it was Michael Parker, the year before they had Dempsey, uh, Pat Newton, and then there was Taylor Twelman. I know um, the reports have been that Willie Sims has looked good in the reserves games he's played, but is there really any one of these rookies that might come out and have the same breakout year that those players have had in the past? You, uh, based on the track record, obviously, uh, you'd expect that at least one of these guys uh, will turn out to be a, a regular starter in MLS. Uh, but um, d depending on the, 
You know, you need to get the brakes, you know. Uh, even a Clint Dempsey, nobody knew who he was coming in. Um, uh, Pat Noonan, I mean, these guys are first-round choices, uh, way under the Oliveira. But unless they stay healthy, get the the, the choices and and the minutes, and then um, perform in in the right circumstances, they, no nobody really knows, you know. Um, we haven't had a lot of player movement other than the draft, and our guys have done great. But uh, the composition of the team could change depending on. Yeah, as you know, guys are getting green cards, and we have openings in salary cap, and who knows? It may be not the rookie's year this year. It, it could be. I'm not saying that uh, Willie Sims or any of those guys, um, Brown, uh, should can't or, or wouldn't or, or hasn't already stepped up. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't gotten enough uh, team practice time this year to, to make a clear decision on those guys. And besides, it's too early. You, you need to put them in game situations, um, and sometimes they respond to that better than they ever look in practice. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's also experience with some of those guys, like Willie Sims, who has uh, appearances for Guatemala national team, and a guy like Tony Lockett, who had the appearance for the New Zealand national team before coming to the Reds. So I think those are players that can step up in the absences during the World Cup. And it's great that they have these reserve league. I know we talked about that last year, but it's a great thing for them to have the reserve league and get the action in there so they will be ready uh, when the game time comes. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, when they get on the first team, they've already played enough with these guys, uh, never mind the reserve games, uh, where I, I think that if, if the team uh, playing with the high-level players that were potentially national team World Cup call-ups, is going to help all these new guys come along. And uh, I, I think it will raise the level of their game. Uh, it, it's tough to predict which ones are, are going to step it up. Uh, Tony Lockheed, being a left-side player, probably has the best chance to uh, step up and become a regular. But uh, who knows what Steve Nichols thinking and who they're going to bring in in the future. And Lockhead was a player that they uh, drafted last year, but he didn't sign until later in the year after trying to get on with the team when Europe. Um, in his first game for the Revs, I, I thought he wasn't—he didn't really make a great show of himself. But in his last game after his time with the national team, I thought he looked a lot more composed and a lot more uh, ready to be part of the team. And the, the question comes: When Joe Franchino gets healthy, is he going to get that spot back in the left midfield? I don't think there's any question. When when Joey Franchino is healthy, um, he'll probably be the captain again, and then he'll be out there. Uh, That—that's his spot to lose, uh, at, at least in. Uh, Steve Nichols' mind. Uh, I know a lot of the fans uh, have there's some controversy about that, but Joey's a known quantity, and uh, he's a first peers player, uh, uh, a leader, a winner, and you know he he's not somebody that uh, is is going to lose his position because he was injured. When he gets back healthy, Joey will be out there, and it, it, it's up to Tony Lockheed to prove that he's a better player or whoever else plays out there in that position. And the other issue is in the center midfield when um, obviously everyone's healthy. Andy Dorman is a player that has been starting every game this season, but they also have Daniel Hernandez who starts there. And But with the way injuries have been, they haven't had to make that decision yet. But then the question comes, who plays in the central midfield when everyone's healthy with Daniel Hernandez, Shari Joseph, and Andy Dorman all fighting for that spot? It's a good problem to have. <laughs> it's a real good problem to have. And uh, the way the team played last night, I think... 
everyone's feeling a lot better about the chances after the way they started the season. And Steve Nichols certainly seemed to be happy with the result after the game. And uh, we can play for you the post-game comments from Steve Nichols. Well, I said all along that, you know, it was a matter of time before we put the ball in the net. I said it to the players before the game, you know, we're ready to give somebody a good beating. And, uh, you know, we're glad uh, I'm today. Well, I think we moved, we moved the ball better, you know. You know, between this week and last week, you know, I thought I thought last week we should still have got something out of the game, although we didn't. Uh, but this week we moved the ball quickly. And, you know, really couldn't close it down. I think it's really as simple as that. We moved the ball... Passing was a lot crisper, you know, it was accurate, and we moved it quickly. And when we do that, you know, you know, teams are going to find it hard to, to close us down. You know, even when we went one up, we never stopped. We were relentless. We kept coming forward. Um, you know, the penalty we should have got was comical now. You know, we've won 4-0, but, you know, well, you're only one goal ahead. Anything can happen. Uh, we should have been two up with the penalty, and, and they should have been down to ten men. But, uh, fortunately, we didn't let that upset our rhythm, and we just kept going after them. Stephen, uh, just your thoughts on Taylor's performance today. You were saying all week that you know he came in as, as a you know, real professional to handle this, the tough situation, and especially against finding out about his grandfather. Uh, yeah. Were you surprised about how he was able to really put that aside and perform for you today? No, I've seen him during the week. You know, all week he's been uh, 100%. Um, Attitude-wise, professional-wise, the whole the whole thing all week. So I wasn't surprised to see him go out today and, and play the way that you know held the ball up, scored his goal. Maybe he could have had another one. You know, considering the week he's had, um, I thought he was excellent today and uh, should be very proud of himself. And uh, Steve Nichols, as he was saying, the woman had come back from adversity with his grandfather dying on Thursday, and as well as not making the national team. So it was great to see him back in there and getting the goal. Yeah, uh, Twelman uh, has been under pressure for a long time. Uh, I, I, I think he thrives on it, and uh, he raises the level. And uh, you, you can't ever question that guy's work ethic and the talent level. Uh, it's a matter of um, getting the opportunities. And uh, I, if anything, uh, the reason that uh, Taylor Twelman's not going to World Cup is not um, more than 50%. Taylor Tolman, I think it's uh, the revolution and the service that he's got. Now, unfortunately for him, it, things haven't happened, and uh, uh, it was great to see it this last game. I wish we'd been playing that the last half dozen games, and he'd be there. And the other player who uh, was played a big part in the U.S.'s World Cup qualifying campaign was Steve Rothman, who scored the goal that clinched the ad advancement to the World Cup finals against Mexico. And Rawson had a goal last night, too, as well, he, just coming back from injury. I, I thought he didn't look like he was missing a beat there from stepping right back from injury. Obviously, he wasn't 100% and if he had to get subbed out early, but yeah, I thought he looked great in that game. He did, uh, and, and hopefully that's going to continue. Um, uh, as you know, the team hasn't been scoring, and, and it's partially because we're missing a lot of the creative uh, ball control guys that can bring it up front and feed it to Taylor or, or, or whoever, or Dempsey or, or Noonan when he's around. Um, but as, as all these guys, uh, so we're no, we know we'll be missing Dempsey. Uh, honestly, the, the team offense is still going to be right there. I don't think we'll, we'll skip a beat. I still think at the end of the season, the Revolution will be one of the highest scoring team, teams in, in this season. And I actually got the chance to talk to Steve Rawlson after the game. Uh, he actually wasn't even expecting to start in that game. And he had interesting to say, things to say about that and also about the free kick that he scored off of. And we can play that now. 
Well, I thought it was going to be a little more gradual than this. I thought I was going to come in the last 20 minutes for my dad, you know, considering I only trained the two or three days, and I was put in the starting lineup, and I was, I was a little worried. You know, I, I talked to Stevie about that, you know, and mentioned something about maybe he's coming in the last 20 minutes just to ease into it, but instead of throwing me into the fire. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was I was worried, but it, it held up pretty good. And, uh, you know, mentally now I feel better about it. And, you know, go move, move forward and, and get, some, you know, get some more training under my belt and, and feel, you know, so I can feel a little fitter. I didn't feel real fit tonight, um, but it was we talked about that before. Like, we've worked on that actually uh, training pitch a few times, and it's never worked. But for some reason, Steve's like, let's get to give it a try tonight and see what happens. And uh, it finally came off, so it was, it was good. It was just something we talked about that if we get an opportunity to, to give it a try, if it presented itself. And it did, and, and luckily, you know, it went in. I, I thought we, we, were, we were up for the game. We were ready to go with an opening whistle, and uh, we had some other chances besides you know, the goals we scored. Obviously, three set pieces, um, a couple of great balls by Pepe, and, and, and getting the penalty. Um, it feels nice to finally get a penalty. It feels like we, we never get them, especially after the first half, the, the blatant handball that everybody in the stadium saw. I think it was more us. I thought we, I thought we really came out of the gates well and were really prepared, and uh, I thought we played very well. How important is it now that this team goes on a roll and really builds on Steve Rawson and his thoughts on the last night's game and uh, that free kick there as you mentioned was something that they'd worked on in training um, I think everyone was unex- wasn't expecting that especially the Los Angeles defense and it worked really well and I think that's uh, something that worked for them in the future um, with a guy that can't say there's so much of a threat in those free kicks uh, Yeah, it, it's always great when they mix it up um, whenever you can uh, recognize how the defense is playing and uh, take advantage of it and find an open spot to get somebody a clear shot. And uh, Steve buried that one. I mean, uh, some people would sky that over the net. He kept his composure and his concentration. And from that standpoint, uh, Hartman didn't have much of a chance to make a save because it happened so quick and uh, you don't have a chance to cut down the angle because you're playing for a cross. You're playing for an air ball that's come in through a mix of players and when it comes into an open space like that and it comes at you low, uh, you can't blame Kevin Hartman on that. That was just a very well-executed play on the Revolution. I, I think the team as a whole, I don't think there was a single person on the team who had a bad game. I think everyone played extremely well. And uh, we mentioned Twelman earlier for his goal, but he also contributed um, on that next chance in like the 19th minute where he had the shot that uh, Tyrone Marshall slid in and blocked. Uh, Ulo Mehlu actually was who slid in and blocked it with his hand. Um, they should have earned a penalty kick on that. Twelman likely would have scored if that wasn't blocked. And he also earned the later penalty kick when he got fouled by Chris Albright. So he had a great game. And as we mentioned earlier, he had a lot of adversity with the difficulty of losing his grandfather earlier in the week and, and not making the call up. So uh, we also have a quick clip from him on what he thought of playing in that game and his difficulty doing that. It was hard. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. It's, uh, 99% of me wanted to be in St. Louis today, and um, I knew my grandfather would not want me to be there, and uh, so I decided to stay here and play. I'm leaving tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. So. And the other player we haven't mentioned left, 
who we haven't mentioned yet is Shari Joseph, who had a excellent game, scored two goals, the penalty kick, as well as a header off a of Jose Cancela free kick. Um, was captain, and I thought he was doing an excellent job defensively too, as always. Uh, he, he's a player who, in my opinion, if the team had to start from scratch, that would be the guy who keep the the player like him is hard to come by and. I think he's having a great year so far, and he was best of 11 last year, and I think he can do even better this year. Uh, definitely, Shalry is uh, one of the keystone players on this team. Uh, the, the defense gets the credit, but uh, a, a lot of the defensive work starts with Shalry Joseph, just the way he sees the game coming and steps up and cuts everything off in, in, in front of them. And uh, not only that, but uh, when we do get the ball, we don't lose it right away, as in the, in the old uh, revolution teams where we just boot it away. Now, uh, we have an intelligent player who can control the ball uh, between himself and Hernandez and also, of course, uh, Andy Dorman. Uh, we move the ball out of the, the back as well as, or if not better than any team in the league. And uh, that, that helps out the defense tremendously. Uh, it also has a lot of bearing on, on the offensive end. Uh, we just hadn't been there for the final playoffs, but uh, uh, after this game, uh, I don't think, the, you know, the players look confident. We know that if we play our game and uh, if we just do the basic things that we're capable of, we're going to be scoring some goals. And uh, this team, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see us back uh, in the MLS Cup final again. And coming up next week, they have a game against... Uh, Chivas USA, who obviously are an improved squad from last year with who they brought in, but at the same time they haven't really been getting the results this year that some people expected after the quick start to the season. Uh, so that'll be a team that kind of brings an uncertainty to that game, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how that game goes, and I think the way the Reds are playing confidently right now, they should definitely be able to get a win out of that. Uh, on the other hand, we, we can't be overconfident, because the, the Chivas team uh, has had ups and downs. They've looked brilliant at times, and uh, they have talent. Uh, they brought in the key new additions, uh, and we don't really know. I mean, they're an unknown quality. We don't know who's, what team's going to show up. They, they could take out any team in the league right now. So just because we're playing them at home and uh, they haven't been – I think they've had uh, a couple of weeks off out of the last three, so that um, you know they're not necessarily um, fluid right now, and um, it, it's really hard to predict a team like that. But uh, I hope that uh, after this last effort, the guys realize that uh, if we put in the work ethic and uh, we keep our concentration, it doesn't matter what the other team does, we can win the game. Yeah, and Shari Joseph, we talked to him after the game, and he uh, also thought that playing the same way they play against Los Angeles, playing their game and enforcing that upon the opposition was uh, what, what would win them the next game as well. And we can play for you now what Shari Joseph had to say about it. Uh, against Chivas USA next week, uh, obviously uh, much improved over the last year's team with the players they brought in. What, what's going to be the key to winning that game? I think we got to do the same thing we do today. Just jump on them early. We at home, so we got to use our offensive weapon. We're going to miss Clint a lot, so hopefully we can get Pat back. Hopefully we can get more guys back and just do the same thing we did today. Uh, that was Shari Joseph for you, Goss, in the next game um, against Chivas USA. And as we were talking earlier, Shaw Joseph's been a great player this year. He's a really key member of this team and maybe one that does, goes unnoticed um, for as far as offensive players getting the notice. But last night he certainly had the two goals, and that certainly get his name in the papers. And uh, The team as a whole has been playing excellent this season, and that game against Chivas will be a, a, a real test for the team to see how they can play against that team who's been more rested than them. And it will also be interesting to see a guy like Pat Noonan, how he comes back from his injury, and hopefully he'll be ready to play.
Yeah, well, uh, this week was a good indication of uh, how the guys are going to recover from this World Cup anxiety, uh, not knowing who's going to make it, who's not going to. Some of the other teams haven't had to deal with that, so they haven't had the uh, internal personal turmoil that that goes along with that. Now that these guys, uh, you know, uh, been disappointed and can concentrate on uh, on playing for the for the revolution and. Not well. That, not that the doors are closed yet, but still, that's um, where you know they're going to make their case to be in the next team in four years, possibly. Shalri, um, uh, unfortunately, doesn't have a chance to play for the national team, our national team, anyways, and his national team may never make the main stage. But um, he's got a great opportunity. He's a team leader. The guys looked up to him. He was our captain. Now that Franchino was injured. And uh, I expect that uh, you're going to see great things of Shawry, uh and possibly see him being one of the major uh, European teams in, in upcoming years. And Clint Dempsey, the one who does have the World Cup to look forward to, um, I thought didn't play didn't play uh, like a player not trying to get injured. I thought he was played his full game out there. Um, he still was trying to take everyone on, and he almost had the goal there. And uh, I thought he had a real good game. And, and for this coming up. World Cup camp, he has a chance to be a starting player if if he can prove himself in the right midfield role continuously. Clint should have had a goal and uh, possibly more. Uh, I I think uh, he was more of an impact player in this game than say Landon Donovan was, uh, and they're both in the same situation. Nobody wants to get hurt, um, but at the same time you've got to help your team and you've got to stay uh, on top of the game because you're going into the biggest tournament in the world. And uh, I think these guys are still trying to impress their manager. Just just because your name's on that list doesn't mean you will start. It, you've got to show that you deserve to be out there on the field and be part of that first 11. And I'm sure that Quinn Dempsey was thinking that. Landon Donovan probably has a little bit of leeway <laughs> where he doesn't have to worry um, uh, how well he'll perform week in, week out because he's uh, going to be in the starting lineup for the, for the U.S. anyways. But... Uh, uh, it, it, it was a great showing for Clint. Um, even though he didn't get on the score sheet, I, I think he performed very well. And we have uh, some audio from Clint Dempsey as well and uh, his file on the upcoming national team camp. And after that, we'll be joined by Jack Huckle, and we'll discuss the Hall of Fame, National Soccer Hall of Fame inductees. What do you think you can do to earn a starting spot in the World Cup? All you can do is work as hard as you can, and, you know, if, if you're on form, you'll be on the field. You know what I mean? If you're playing better than the guy that's, you know, that's fighting for your spot, well, then you'll be on the field. So I just got to be better than the guy next to me. But at the same time, uh, you got to be the best you possibly can be because you got to be better than the guy that you're playing against on the field. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be on the field and I'll be able to, you know, show what I can do. And what's really the difference in coaching styles between uh, Steve Nichols and Bruce Arena? Um, oh, Steve Nichols more, uh, I don't know, uh, he's more he's more of a player coach himself because uh, he actually he played he played professionally and uh, um, you know he's out there playing with us and uh, you know showing us showing us things as where Bruce is more um, he analyzes the game well and prepares us. Um, with video and uh, lets us know what we need to do going into the game. So I think I think Bruce is a little bit more uh, precise as far as instructions are during the game. Where Steve Nichols just kind of just go out there and play, and just, you just have a few responsibilities. Is where with national team it seems like you have to know where you have to be on you know pretty much every play. And the first game of the World Cup against the Czech Republic, uh, second ranked nation in the world. Um, are you looking forward to that? And really, uh, what what what's the goal for that match? Get going to that. Uh, always your goal is to you know, win. Um, to be honest, I haven't really looked 
you know, not looking at that game yet. Looking for these, uh, you know, these games that are sending us off. Um, so I got to make sure that I'm, I'm playing well, and you um, know, then take one game at a time. The next game is the most important so right now. I don't know who we play next, but uh, you know, make sure you know, stay healthy and be ready when I go on Wednesday. And now over the phone we have uh, Jack Huckle from the National Soccer Hall of Fame joining us. Um, over the weekend before the Revs game, they announced the uh, inductees to the National, Hawker, National Soccer Hall of Fame, and the two are Alexi Lalas, who is a former Revolution player, as well as Carla Overbeck, who is a former U.S. Women's National Team player. Um, and Alexi Lalas has been a, a, was a great player for the Revs in his time there. Now he's gone on to be the general manager of the Revolution, um, the general manager of the Los Angeles Galaxy after being the general manager of the Red Bulls, and he seems to move around quite a lot from the front office. Uh, but for Jack, uh, this this is obviously a great Hall of Fame induction class. There were a lot of other great people to get in there. Um, what, what did these two players do that really made them stand out from the rest of the class for the National Soccer Hall of Fame? Well, I think Alexi um, just was a great player for us through the 90s. Um, so many great moments right there in, in Foxborough from the old stadium and the header goal against England in 93, I think it was, and certainly his play during the World Cup where he and uh, last year's inductee Marcelo Balboa really uh, solidified the center of the defense and uh, then going on to Italy, the first modern era player to play in Italy, coming back and being a pioneer for Major League Soccer again with the revolution. And uh, boy, the, we were talking yesterday at what great fan support the Revs had when Alexi was there and, and how disappointing it was for him that they weren't able to, to bring a championship to those fans. Um, so I think that, that talks about what Alexi's done and, and Carla's unique there's no other player that we have who captained a gold medal winning Olympic team and a world champion in 1999 and of course she also played on the 91 world championship team so I think that she's easy to sum up in a, in a few short words Jack this is Tony Biscaya from Resnet Hi Tony uh, uh, Alexi, beyond being uh, one of the early very good players from the U.S. that made it overseas, has also been an excellent ambassador for the game in the USA. And he continues to be part of the marketing push as, as the game reaches out to the masses. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit recently, but uh, I'm sure that uh, although the U.S. Uh, Soccer Hall of Fame doesn't give awards for uh, the, the guys that get out there and promote the game will actually be right at the top of that list as well. Well, I, I think so. You know, he he uh, he said this in one of the interviews. You know, he he knew that he needed to be a performer to to attract attention to the game, and he felt that that was something he could do with his personality, his um, golly, his out frontness, his kind of outrageousness is rock band um, I think he's one who really felt the need to promote the game and uh, I think that's, that's not why he got elected to the Hall of Fame but it's certainly part of his legacy 
And I'd like to thank you for joining us today, Jack. And there was obviously a couple other players on that list that uh, played roles with the New York National Team, and even some that played roles in the Revolution, like a guy like Mike Burns, who's now in the front office of the Revolution. Um, players like that, what are their chances of uh, getting elected in the future years? Well, he's on the ballot, but that's the first important step. And um, Mike's, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head how many votes he got over the last two years. But um, he he's eligible for election, and that's really something the, the Hall of Famers who vote, the media who vote, um, really have the biggest say about. Um, he's been in the top ten, I think, both years of, of those being voted. And the, the other thing are players like Carlos Valderrama, Mauricio Cienfuegos, who weren't U.S. national team players but were star players in MLS. Um, how, how do they compare uh, when voting comes to players who are players in the U.S.? And how, how, is there going to be a way to like differentiate them from the U.S. national team stars? Um, obviously, a guy like Carlos Valderrama finished fifth in the voting, uh, but he was really a great player in MLS. Uh, is there something possible maybe in the future of having a separate category for players like that? I, I don't really think so. Um, it's not something we've discussed, to be honest, Sean. Um, I think that when our voters feel like the time is right to honor somebody like Carlos or Maurizio, who were both terrific players, they're going to get the votes. Um, I'm sure there are voters who who feel like it's the National Soccer Hall of Fame, it's for United States players, and vote that way. Um, and as you can tell, there's there's certainly a fair amount who want to recognize somebody like Carlos or Mauricio. And and I'm sure that day will come. Um, you know, the one coming down the pike, and I think he's two years away, is Marco Echeverri, who, uh, unlike, is the same quality of player as Mauricio or Carlos, but also won a couple championships. And maybe that's what it'll take for... Uh, a player who's a non-U.S. native to be elected by the current voting pool. be interesting to see. And uh, looking at it down the list as well, um, there's obviously a large distribution of who got votes. Um, could you explain how the voting process works um, and who, who gets the vote in this? Sure. There are really four groups of voters. The two largest groups are media that... Um, we work with the communications departments at the various MLS clubs, at Major League Soccer downtown, with U.S. Soccer Communications Department to select media from all across the country, those that are uh, people who regularly cover the national team or the MLS teams, and we actually have a few on there left over from the days of the Women's United Soccer Association who've kept up an interest in soccer. The Hall of Famers, and, and we get about 50 of the 65 Hall of Famers voting each year. All the current and past national team coaches vote um, or have the opportunity to vote. Uh, a couple of them I have trouble getting in touch with and don't always get their votes, but uh, uh, Bruce Arena was a voter this year. Uh, April Heinrichs as the past women's national team coach was a voter. And that vote goes all the way back to uh, a couple coaches who who coached in the 60s and 70s. Um, also in that coach group are those coaches who have four years or more tenure 
coaching in either major league soccer in major league soccer. So that uh, Bob Gansler qualifies both as an old national team coach and as a MLS coach. And lastly, there's a select group of soccer administrators like uh, Commissioner Garber, uh, the um, uh, Executive Secretary for U.S. Soccer, a few, and each of the ownership groups has an executive representative. But every vote counts the same, um, whether you're a media voter from, from Boston or uh, Commissioner Garber, your vote is, has the same value. Jack, this is Tony again. Um, uh, as the, uh, the in the last decade that sports evolved, a lot of that is going to be more uh, concentrated on uh, recent uh, coverage, whether it's from people in the media or from players being eligible as the MLS players become eligible and as the U.S. national team women become eligible. Uh, and that I foresee a, uh, a backlog or a logjam of a lot of people that are deserving because a lot of them have retired recently and they were truly pioneers in both the men's and women's game. Um, did, do you still foresee that we'll only elect one or two people or will they be, uh, as Sean was asking before, can we start to create uh, separate categories to make it possible for more of these very deserving um, uh, pioneers in the sport of soccer in America to be able to get into the Soccer Hall of Fame? Well, I think there's... Um, I, I don't see us breaking it down into categories. I, um, we've talked about that a lot. Should there be a women's and a men's ballot, for example? Um, and uh, I think we don't want it that way. That's our our current uh, discussions have led that way. You know, there's, um, I should comment, there's also a veterans ballot for those players who um, go through the regular process, which there's 10 years of being eligible. Following that, you can, uh, you get on the veterans ballot, and there's always an opportunity to be elected there. We are, we always evaluate what our voting trends tell us. Should we, are, are we doing it the right way? Um, our proximity to the Baseball Hall of Fame means I uh, talk with them about uh, are, are they evaluating their system? And for their regular player election, I think they're locked into their 75%, and that's the way it's going to be forever. But they're evaluating the difficulty in electing a, a veteran who, uh, uh, to the Hall of Fame, uh, somebody like Gil Hodges, who so many people think so highly of, and yet he he's not able to make that threshold. Um, it's a real challenge. You know, our charge is to honor those who are the most, most, most deserving. And um, I think there will always be a difference of opinion on who that represents and um, uh, I guess that it's kind of good that way you know that that it's not going to be everybody's not going to get there and at the same time we'll keep evaluating and make sure what we're doing makes sense and um, and gives players the opportunity to be elected uh, 
through the regular process and the veteran process. And, you know, you know that we did this last year, Tony, is we had a, a special election class last year of players who played in the 20s, 30s, and 40s that uh, just going back and scouring that history and determining were there players who deserved recognition that, that had received it. I'm sure sometime in the future, um, past my time at the Hall of Fame, that same thing's going to happen. It's, it is uh, perhaps sad when it's too late, the player is no longer with us, but the family members who visited with us last year certainly felt a, an enormous sense of pride in their forefathers' accomplishments. Um, I guess that's the only thing I can say to answer that concern, Tony. And the Hall of Fame, obviously, is not the closest place in the world uh, to uh, this, the Providence area, but there's obviously a lot of soccer history from the Providence area and the, all of New England. Uh, what can somebody from this area, from New England, get out of the Soccer Hall of Fame, and what particular interest to New England would there be there? Well, you know, there's the great history of the American Soccer League and teams like uh, the Fall River Marksmen that, that were uh, national champions, U.S. Open Cup champions in the 30s. Um, we have uh, on display the Von Bremen Trophy, which was a championship trophy for the American Soccer League, won by teams like the Boston Wonder Workers of the, of the 20s. Uh, last year, our inductees included Tommy Fleming, who played on that team and went on to coach Quincy High School, actually, in, in the 30s and 40s. Um, many believe the greatest player in American soccer is Billy Gonzalez, who's a played on that Fall River Marksman team in the 30s, in 30 and 31. Um, we That's have, because uh, they've never seen Taylor Twelman. <laughs> What's that? That's because they didn't get to see Taylor Twelman. Oh. <laughs> but, um, well, historically, let's say then. Um, so there's a, a lot of representation, photographs of, um, of players from that era. Along with right up to today, with uh, representation for the New England Revolution, our NASL room with uh, the teamen uh, recognized from the NASL era, uh, probably our our neatest piece that has a bunch of New England teams on it is the original Dewar Challenge Trophy, the oldest team sport trophy team trophy in U.S. sport given to the U.S. in 1912 for the national championship. And, and that trophy is on display with, with teams like uh, Fall River Marksman and New Bedford Football Club uh, engraved around the base of it. So that's, uh, I think that's a piece. And, you know, key ingredient is that we're about 30 minutes from the Baseball Hall of Fame, so you have a great opportunity to come and look at soccer history and and look at the baseball history and uh, all within within 30 minutes. And uh, so it's a great family trip for people. And I know you've been out to uh, Foxborough area uh, several times for um, U.S. national team games when guys like Claudio Reina were there for their 100th cap. But yep. how, about how long of a drive is it from this area down to Oneonta? It's about four, or between four and four and a half. And it's all interstate. You know, uh, we're a 
the interstate, exit 13 of Interstate 88. So as soon as you're on 95 or 495, it's really a pretty nice cruise all the way. And I know the Hall of Fame also sometimes inducts teams, like I, I believe the 1991 Women's World Cup team was inducted into the Hall of Fame. How, how does that work? Well, they weren't inducted into the Hall of Fame. They were honored with an award called the National Soccer Medal of Honor. And it, it's a, an award given to individuals or a group, and it's been given two other times to Lamar Hunt and to Alan Rothenberg. And it's given to people who have really caused... A, I call it a sea change in the sport. Um, Lamar's total commitment to soccer starting back in 1967-68 with the NASL Dallas Tornado and his continuing support of soccer, the building of Crew Stadium, the uh, first modern soccer facility. And I say that because there used to be Mark Stadium in Fall River that was a soccer built to be a soccer stadium. The Pawtucket Rangers had a stadium built to be a soccer stadium in the 20s and 30s. So uh, the first modern era stadium, Alan Rothenberg with his contributions to bringing the World Cup to America and turning the 94 World Cup and the 99 Women's World Cup into uh, the two largest World Cups in history. And, of course, the 99 Women's World Cup was the largest women's sporting event ever. Um, and the women's team for 91, you know, the, that group of players created Olympic women's Olympic soccer, um, were the foundation for that 99 uh, huge, huge event, and really got the rest of the world to play women's soccer. So they created a change well, each of those three created a change in how soccer is played in America, if not around the world. Jack, I think uh, the the way that uh, soccer is perceived in America over the last couple of decades is changing rapidly. And uh, I'm really happy that there are people like yourself and Will Lund that are you know carrying the ball and and making it so that uh, in in the near future it will be a, a, a necessary pilgrimage for all USA soccer fans to come out to the Hall of Fame. I've enjoyed my visits in the last few years very much, and uh, I congratulate you on your work. And uh, uh, I look forward to uh, you know c continuing success for the all, all of U.S. soccer at all levels, and uh, it's just really great to see you guys uh, uh, making that available to the entire American sporting public. Thank you, Tony, and, and Sean, you know, it's um, it's a labor of love, and, and uh, I've, I've been a part of soccer for over 40 years, uh, starting with playing in high school, and, and it's just a great a great game and you're right we've made wonderful strides and we shouldn't forget that even though we're of course always disappointed where we show up on the sports page every week but uh, we're going to keep hammering away at the, at the sports editors and the television producers and keep working to make the game better it's great that you guys have this weekly radio show that gives the soccer fans in your area a chance to to uh, indulge their their soccer fanaticism along with going to Revs games. Well, we'd like to thank you a lot for uh, joining us today, Jack. 
Sean, thanks so much for asking me anytime. It's wonderful to talk to you. It was great to see both of you yesterday, and we look forward to seeing you on August 28th in Oneana for the induction ceremonies. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, and we have a quote now from Alexi Lawless on what he thought the progress of Major League Soccer is, uh, the Hall of Fame induction. That newly inducted into the Hall of Fame, Alexi Lawless, um, had thinks, thinks the league is produced is progressing nicely, and uh, we have his thoughts on that. Yeah, right now we are producing individually and I think collectively at times players and teams that can compete with the best in the world. There's a uh, perception versus reality problem right now, and, and an, unfortunately an inferiority complex that exists within American soccer. Um, if you were to take some of the teams and some of the players that we have playing in MLS day in and day out, pick them up with a helicopter or something, fly them over to the best leagues in the world, don't tell anybody, just give them a different jersey, wouldn't miss a beat. Um, the problem is it's very difficult to watch an MLS game and uh, not be affected by the periphery and what goes on on the outside. Um, that's changing with the new stadiums that we have and obviously the increase in, the, in attendance. Um, but listen, if what we've done on and off the field in the last 10 years is any indication, uh, this league is going to continue to grow and continue to be a place where people are going to look to apply their wares. Um, we have to do something, obviously, about making sure that we are able to compensate players. But the lure to come to the United States, especially for international players and play here, um, is uh, above and beyond money, and you see it time and time and again. Um, there has to be, obviously, uh, an ability uh, to make them whole in terms of uh, the, the financial reward. Um, but that's going to come with time. Um, the other thing is that we've developed incredible depth because of MLS. You know, Bruce Arena is, is smiling right now. He's loving it. Um, and there's plenty of coaches that have come before at the national team level, many that, that coached me and certainly in my time, that didn't have that advantage. Hats off to Bruce for what he's done. He would go, will go down as the, uh, if he were to retire right now, as the best American coach in history, and he deserves it uh, for what he's done on and off the field for soccer. But he's also had the advantage of incredible depth, and that depth has come because of Major League Soccer. Um, there would, you know, we talk about the rankings all the time. Um, when we were like 40 and stuff, we said it was the stupidest thing in the world. Nobody pays attention. Now that we're, you know, in the top 10 all the time, people are like, that's the most important thing ever. And, and it's, there's, a, there's a science to it and all that. Uh, the fact is, it, it's because of the depth that we have. Bruce has so many different options. The fact that we were all arguing about who he was going to pick the other day, that didn't happen a long time ago. Um, you know, I was part of that generation that didn't have a tremendous amount of depth. And it showed on and off the field. So, um, you know, I think the future of American soccer, in particular the future of Major League Soccer, uh, is, is very, very positive. And now we have Don Cuddy from Soccer365.com uh, on the air now. And, Don, you obviously write for a lot of different things as well as Soccer365.com. I know you, you have some articles up on uh, RevsNet, which Tony also works for as a photographer and a writer, and as, as well as 90 Minutes Soccer Magazine. Um, which, what are, where can your writing be seen uh, as far as those places, and how did you get involved in those places? Oh, Sean, well, once again, thanks for having me on the show. It's always thanks a lot for joining us. And, um, well, uh, tomorrow uh, there will be an interview with uh, Tony Luckhead going up on uh, Soccer365, which is www.soccer365.com. I just had a chat with him at training last week. Uh, I'm supposed to have the feature on Steve Nichol in the next issue of 90 Minutes magazine. It was supposed to be in this month, but it was bumped by the uh, U.S. team's uh, presence in California. And I also, of course, contribute to the ResNet because, um, you know, I'm a Rev fan as well as a soccer writer. And me and Tony were talking about earlier how the Rev's performance last night really looked more like what we expected to see out of them 
um, the way they were playing last year. What do you think the difference was in this game compared to the way the Reds have been playing earlier on in the season? Well, um, I'm glad I wasn't on your show last week because uh, they would have been doom and gloom. And uh, considering it was essentially the same team playing in the same stadium, it's very difficult uh, to come up with an explanation. Uh, one thing, obviously, that was a factor was the field conditions were so much better. I mean, there's been some talk about that. The uh, surface against Chicago was really bad, especially with the Reds dependent on uh, passing the ball quickly to uh, spread the play. And they seemed to be able to do that much better last night. And uh, I think they just felt that they needed to get a result. I'm sure they were very upset about the performance against Chicago. And, of course, they, uh, everything went right. I mean, they couldn't have written a better script. Getting the early goal settled them down. And um, L.A. really didn't come to play. I think, uh, you know, they, it was never really a contest. It, uh, even after they went one down, they didn't show much uh, motivation. And uh, the game was over at halftime. So uh, then the Rutgers course were able to put on a couple of guys, give them some minutes later on. And that. Uh, the only downside, of course, was uh, Hernandez coming up with an injury. So, but to, uh, to give you an explanation of uh, why they were so much better last night than the previous week, uh, I don't think Steve Nichols knows that. I don't think the players know. It's just chemistry. It's the psychology of it. And guys like Steve Ross and Taylor Twelman, who we mentioned earlier, um, didn't make the World Cup roster and obviously had legitimate chances at it. Uh, were you a bit surprised at how they reacted by that and coming out and playing so well in that game, or was that what you expected? Well, I mean, if you're a professional, you're paid to perform, and uh, Taylor's an experienced pro, and he's a goal scorer, and, uh, you know, he he got to shoot the ball into an empty net. So, uh, I mean, fair play to him for being in position to do that. That's what he does. But uh, he had a good, solid performance, but uh, it was a team effort last night. Everybody who was on the field wearing the red shirt uh, really put in a solid effort, except for Matt Reese. I mean, because I was uh, a bit cheeky with him in the locker room after the game. I said, hey, Matt, you're getting money for nothing, man. I mean, you know, but he did point out the save he made from uh, Donovan's header. And actually, that's probably my expanding memory of the game. Seeing uh, Landon Donovan get on the end of the cross, it's probably about as rare as David Beckham touching the ball with his head. But uh, he nearly snuck in for that. It was a nice ball from Albright, and he just blindsided heaps, and he got his head to that ball, and it would have gone in if Matt hadn't been so alert. And... Uh, the other feature of the game, too, is the uh, Kevin Hartman performance. I think uh, this is one he's definitely one hoping to forget about. And I think um, as bad as the scoreline was, the worst thing that would have happened to him was if that uh, ball from Clint Dempsey had gone in instead of hitting the post. Because if you're a goalkeeper, you don't want to get beat at the near post. Uh, so definitely Hartman's a lot better keeper than he showed from his performance. He must have been the boot. They'll probably end up in... Uh, the trash being in a hotel room up in Braintree, I would imagine. And uh, the guys that are heading off to the World Cup, you got Clint Dempsey from the Revs and Chris Albright and Landon Donovan from Los Angeles Galaxy. Um, obviously, they were trying to avoid injuries in that match, but how did you think they played in that game? And do you think they were really trying, just looking forward to the, to the U.S. national team camp coming up, or were they really focused? I thought Clint Dempsey had a good game, but uh, Landon Donovan kind of seemed out of the game a little bit, as well as Chris Albright. Yeah, well, uh, I think Albright is better as a fullback than he is as a midfield player. And so uh, 
it was it's, it's hard for me to be critical of him or any individual when the team performance was so poor because they, they never managed to uh, really show any cohesion. Uh, so there was, you know, it was very difficult to uh, shine on a night like that. But uh, Donovan obviously is a world-class player, and he did create a couple of things for himself. And uh, there was one lob where he tried to put one of his teammates through that was like Thierry Henry. It was just snap decision, beautiful execution. Donovan will be all right. When he gets the U.S. players around him, when he's playing with Beasley and McBride, I think uh, he'll be just fine. However, uh, I don't believe any of the players on the field were uh, consciously holding back for fear that they might get hurt or that they, you know, they had to uh, Because all those guys, probably with the exception of Donovan, are going to have to battle very hard in camp and in the next three games that they're playing to guarantee themselves a starting spot in the World Cup. And I mean, I think Dempsey only knows how to play one way, and he plays the same way all the time. It's hard to imagine Clint Dempsey holding back. Don, this is Tony. Um, uh, you've you've been following this team for a while, and uh, also the U.S. national team, and uh, probably more so than uh, the average Revs fan. You're a world soccer fan as well, uh, or you know, you, you certainly follow the international game. Sure. How do you see, where do you see the U.S.? I mean, honestly, what are your expectations for the U.S. national team this summer? Well, I'm sure I'm going to surprise people, but I think they're going to win the group. I think they have uh, talented players. They have the motivation, and um, I think the Czech Republic are uh, certainly an excellent team, but um, some of the better players are uh, a little older now, and I think that... Uh, U.S. approach, this uh, all-out approach, and uh, certainly a high level of fitness, you know, where they can just play at an intense level for 90 minutes, could be just enough if they get their performances from their big players on the day to see them getting a win against the Czechs. Of course, in the World Cup, it's very important to try to get some kind of result from your first game, otherwise you go in the hole, and um, certainly with Italy waiting in the second game, they, they need to get something out of the first one. However, the Africans are an unknown quantity, as usual, and even more so in this World Cup because, they, you know, what we've come to regard as like the traditional African powers like Nigeria, Cameroon, they haven't qualified. So the whole African contingent, I mean, they're bound to produce something unpredictable. And, uh, you know, like Cameroon have said in Argentina, it's not inconceivable that uh, Ghana could do a number on the Italians, which would make things very interesting. But, you know, with Italy having to play the Czech Republic and the U.S., uh, Nobody's going to get four points, so four points might be enough to get through. You know, six is probably good enough to win the group. I believe in the U.S. team. I think they're going to do well. I don't know what's going to happen if they get out of the group, but uh, in England, they're 7-1 to win the group. I think that's a good bet. Yeah, well, uh, if, if they play up to their capabilities, and uh, I, I don't think we're with the group we have uh, in the present day, that anybody's in awe of anyone else anymore. I think uh, the ranking that we have um, may be perceived as uh, per perhaps a bit too high by the rest of the world. But well, let's hope so. Uh, the, the, I, I don't think we'll surprise them due to the ranking, but uh, I, I still think we're very underrated worldwide, and uh, I agree with you. I, I think we have a good chance to make some impact again. Yeah, and there. Uh I think in the foreseeable future, it's not uh, beyond the realm of possibility that probably with Bruce Arena, you know, looking for a new challenge after this World Cup, 
uh, I can think of no better coach for the U.S. than Steve Nichol. He's got a fine appreciation for the American player, and he knows the uh, American game now, but he has the international credibility to uh, step in and take over as a new coach. So uh, he'd get my vote. But you're not Scottish. No, I'm not Irish, but... Uh, <laughs> well, don't you think that the Scotland national team might want Steve Nichol before the U.S. national team does? I think Steve would want to manage the U.S. When uh, Brian Carroll was sacked as manager of the Irish team, I told Steve, hey, Steve, there's a job open over in Dublin for you. And he says to me, uh, I only know one man that can turn water into wine. <laughs> so uh, I think it's kind of a similar situation with Scotland. Uh, you know, in their recent performances, uh, that, that would not be an easy job, on top of which he faced uh, you know, very high-pressure scrutiny from the media, which, uh, I mean, in the American game so far, you know, there's not that. I mean, look at what happened to Scolari when he was supposed to be uh, a candidate for the England job. He had, uh, <coughs> he had 20 uh, journalists camped on his front lawn the next morning, which is supposedly the reason why he uh, withdrew his candidacy. And we got to wrap things up here, but uh, <coughs> next week, which Rev team do you think is going to show up? The one that played against Los Angeles or the way they played against Chicago? I think that uh, they're on a roll now. I mean, obviously, the confidence is going to be good. They're at home again. And, uh, you know, I don't think uh, Chivas are going to be uh, any more potent than L.A. because uh, they've been finding difficulty winning games, particularly on the road. So, uh, you know, let's hope they keep the bandwagon rolling. But it's going to be a long year. Uh, I don't think we should get carried away with results at this stage of the season, you know, whether they're... Uh, positive or negative, uh, the team needs to just keep going and uh, break some new players in. Uh, I'd certainly like to see them getting one or two new players, as I mentioned in the recent piece that I did. I think we still need a little more cover. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, make sure you can check out Don Cuddy's writing at Soccer365.com, as well as on Revnet.com and at 90 Minute Soccer Magazine. Thanks, Don. Okay, thanks for having me on the show, and uh, I'll be seeing you up there next week. And we got to wrap things up here, but uh, before I you go, Tony, uh, what, what can people see from ResNet.com, and can you tell us a little bit about the site again? Uh, well, we've got a couple of new guys. Don's been contributing to the show this year, and uh, also Matt Pruitt stepped up and uh, volunteered uh, uh, some very good writing so far this year, and he's getting better every week. Uh, hopefully my photography is uh, up to the standards that uh, people would like to see. Um, and uh, we we just like to bring the game to the people, and as you bring your show to the people. So thanks for inviting me, and uh, hopefully the people out there care. And uh, the, you know all, all of the efforts that we put into growing the sport uh, uh, keep propagating and and bringing younger people, and uh, you know just making it more available than it is because uh, unfortunately it's still not in the spotlight in the major media. Well, I'd like to thank Tony a lot for joining us today and uh, we can be heard every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. right here on AM 1320 The Drive as well as at 1320thedrive.com with a live stream and archives, you, you can hear archives at revolutionrecaps.com uh, you can get your latest Revs news at anyrevs.com and uh, you should also check out revsnet.com Tony's site and uh, we'll be here again next week. Thanks. <laughs>